1 Peter 3. It's nice not to have to get a sunburn on our, my bald head, or for some of you, have your hair messed up by the wind. Get the nice, cool room in here. 1 Peter chapter 3. Last week, we spoke to wives. And this week, our text speaks to husbands. If you're a husband in here, you probably have somewhere, maybe written down or maybe just in your wife's head, some kind of honey-do list. Anyone have something like that? Okay, it could, it could be just the, you're watching the baseball game and your wife mentions that something needs to be done and you nod the head, right? Or it could be she actually has a real list posted somewhere. Let's not raise your hand if that's you, but, but probably it's just a list of things in her head that she thinks you probably should get done. And you probably you know you should as well. Maybe repairs in your house or putting a piece of furniture together that you're dreading putting together or cleaning up a part of the property or the house. I like how uh, this sign says it right here. If a man says he will fix it, he will. There's no need to remind him every six months. <laughs> and we all laugh because there's a little bit of truth to that, isn't there? I had one of those projects that when I first came, we moved into this house, uh, I promised my wife that I would build her closet doors for our closet. So when you walked into our bedroom, there was our clothes, and I said, I'm going to build <clears throat> these closet doors. It's like barn doors. They're going to slide. They're going to look really cool. So I promised her that two years ago, and that remained an idea for two years until two weeks ago. And I built it for her. Well, <laughs> might want to look at it first. <laughs> I didn't put a picture up here, so <clears throat> when you come to our house, you can peek in our bedroom and no longer see our clothes. But every time you walk into our bedroom, before two weeks ago, you would see the clothes. And I was going to say every time I walked in, I was reminded of my promise, but I was oblivious to it. So actually, I uh, didn't remember it until she would kindly remind me of my promise. As I was studying this text here, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, I was thinking about projects like that, and, and then I realized that projects like this, the effort that goes into projects like that, those doors or your honey to-do list there, the effort that you put into that is much like the effort that we are to put into working on our marriage. And so I thought about the, the task of, for instance, building those doors, and I thought, you know, that's a lot like working on our marriage. So I thought, I'm going to think of a simple way for men to get what we're talking about today. Men, we're simple, right? Most men are simple. And so we're going to try to put it down to our level here. I thought about four tasks that uh, we have when we do each job. First of all, there's some kind of promise, right? Maybe a contract if you're working a job, building a house, or some kind of contract you make, or if you're building cabinets, or if you're, even if it's your honey, do list, right? You made a promise to your wife, even if it was just a nod of the head, that you would do that. And these projects start with some kind of promise or contract, which means there's agreement between two parties that certain expectations will be fulfilled. And then the second one is that you study some kind of design, right? So if you're building a house, you have architectural plans. If you're putting together one of those pieces of IKEA furniture, don't do that. Anyways, if you do that, you know, you get the design for that, you get the instructions, you put that together. And for my closet, I, I had to give up my man card here. I went to Pinterest and looked on there. But you look at some kind of design, and we drew up our own plan. 
then, then you build it, right? And then you have to maintain it. And then you also, fourth, you enjoy it, right? So that's kind of generally what happens when you have a job and the tasks that you go through. And so as I thought about this text here, I thought, again, how can I present this to us in a simple way? And I thought, what I'll do is I'll take these four tasks and I'll talk about the four daily tasks for us as husbands to, to do on a daily basis in our marriage. And so last week we went through verses one through six and we talked about the four beauty tips for women to adorn their marriages and their hearts and their relationships with Christ's likeness. And so today we're studying the tasks for husbands to work on in their marriage. And hopefully we'll try to apply it for everyone in here this morning. But our text specifically addresses men and husbands in specifically. Husbands, the most important earthly project that you have each day is working on your marriage. Besides your personal relationship with God, your marriage is your most important responsibility. So we're going to look at that in 1 Peter 3. So would you look at 1 Peter chapter 3? This is going to be the shortest scripture reading we've had in a while. And we're just going to look at one verse here. Verse 7 says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Let's pray. Father, we believe this is the word of God, and therefore what you say is what we should do what we should believe, and specifically today you have addressed husbands, and so I pray for husbands to listen, to trust, and to obey you, for wives to, to pray for their husbands will be what this text calls them to be, and for all of us as the church to pray for healthy, spiritually strong homes. That is the foundation of our church and of our society, and that is the home. And so I pray, Lord, please give that to us here this morning, and may you be lifted up, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first task that we have, the first task for husbands to work on in their marriage is to remember your marriage covenant. You promise to dwell as lifelong companions. Look at verse 7. He says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives. I think the word likewise reminds us of the biblical responsibilities in the marriage don't just apply to the wife, as they talked about, and as he talked about in verses 1 through 6, but also the husband is accountable, and he has a role in the marriage as well. So he says, likewise, in the same way, husbands, let me instruct you in what your role in the marriage is. And what did we learn last week was the biblical role for the woman. Well, we learn in verse 1, if you want to look back at verse 1, that she's to arrange herself under the leadership of her husband. And we learn that this is due to the creation order. Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2. When God established the human institution of marriage, he established these roles. He made male and female to be equal in dignity and worth. But he assigned different roles to the husband and to the wife within the marital covenant. What was the role of the husband? Last week we said that he was to lead. And that he does that by working to provide, to protect, and 
to really draw his family into, uh, bring his family into fellowship with God, to nurture his wife and his family. God made man and woman different. That's kind of like novel in our world today, isn't it? But he made them different, and he made them different on purpose, and he gave them different roles within the marriage uh, institution of marriage. And God intended that these two genders with two different roles would come together and unite as one to, to have a marriage that is a complementary union. In other words, two people come together and they complement each other. So this word likewise in verse number one, Peter is highlighting these complementing roles. You have the wife in verses one through six, and then the husband here and his role. And if we're going to build something, again, what would we say is the first thing we typically do when we build something, especially if we have a job for someone else, we review the contract, the, the promise that we made to that person. What was the agreement that we put in place? And so what we see here at the beginning of verse 7 is this marriage covenant. You see these two parties coming together, making a covenant, or who have made a covenant with one another. The unfortunate thing in our society is marriage has become nothing more than just a contract. It's kind of like signing up for Gold's Gym or a gym like that, right? So you, you, you sign the contract, you pay the fees, the membership fees, you get the benefits, and at some point, if you don't really like how it's working out, you just cancel it, right? You get out of it. That's how people view marriage today in our society. I mean, we live like near Hollywood, right? It's, people are cycling through marriages all the time over there. Lisa News says that. But a covenant is different than a contract because a covenant is is made before God. It's a promise made before God, and it can only be canceled by, um, by be broken by death. Now, I do believe there are some exceptions for that, but we're not getting into that today. But it's, it's a covenant that's for life. And God elevates the marriage covenant, I believe, to be the highest of all promises that a, a, a human can make with another human. Because when a, when a husband is making this covenant with his wife, he's promising something before God, and it's for life. As we see in, in the scriptures that Matthew 19, 16, Jesus said that God actually does a mathematical miracle here. He takes one and one, and he makes one. There we go. So kids, if you're ever doing math, and you can use that as a little trick question for your math teacher when does one equal one? One plus one equal one in marriage. So there you go. God did it. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. So that marriage covenant between a male, a man and a woman is made before God and is a promise that, that you will dwell as lifelong companions. That you will dwell as lifelong companions fulfilling your God-given role. And so Husbands, I think it's good for us when we read something like this in chapter 3, verse 7, to remember the covenant that you made. Remember the promise you made to your wife. Look down at verse 7. He says, husbands, so there's the one party of the covenant, live with your wives, there's the second party of the covenant. And live is a present tense participle, and it serves as one of the two key commands of this verse. 
And this Greek word is actually, that's translated live, is actually a compound Greek word made up of two words, beside and dwell. So the directive here is that husbands are to dwell beside their wives. And again, this is a present tense. So this is an ongoing daily action. You're to dwell beside your wife. And this this Greek word is actually found nowhere in the New Testament, but if we were to go through the Old Testament um, Greek translation, then we would actually see this a number of times, and it refers to the marriage union, and then sometimes it actually refers to the, the companionship that a man and woman has in the marriage union. So live with your wife here isn't just existing under the same roof. You know, it's not like, you know, I pay her bills or, or we, share, we share this home. It's actually more than that. It actually means that there's not just a covenant, but there's a covenant of companionship. How many husbands, how many dads in our society are completely disconnected from their homes? And not that they don't live at their homes, but they're disconnected from the relationships. They, they work, they come home, they sometimes come home, turn the TV on, watch out all day, or sometimes come home, they go out for a drink, or they play golf all day Saturday, don't see their family. And though they physically sleep in the home, most of the time, maybe, maybe sometimes not even that, but they are not living alongside of their wife in companionship. The Old Testament Scriptures describe marriage, again, as a union, but also a companionship. Malachi 2.14 says, The Lord has been a witness between you and your wife, and the wife of your youth. And this is actually a condemnation, so he says, You have acted treacherously against her. But notice how he describes the marriage union. She was your marriage companion. She was your marriage companion and your wife by covenant. So notice marriage here is not just a covenant promise. It's actually a promise that you are going to have this person be your companion. In fact, when the Bible describes the woman in in Proverbs chapter 2, that is the adulterous woman, he says that she forsakes the companion of her youth. She forgets the covenant of her God. So so marriage isn't just us saying, hey, we're going to live together. It's saying, I actually am going to live life with you and actually as a companion, as a friend. And do you remember your marriage vows? If you're a male and a husband and wife in here, do you remember your marriage vows? How many made up your own marriage vows? Anyone do that? Okay. The only person I can, oh, there's a couple people, Paul Patingo in the back. He, uh, he's doing that, so but he's not married yet. So, <laughs> so we'll, and the guy that's doing your wedding hasn't talked to him about it yet. That's me. So, so we'll probably talk about that. No, but it'll be great, I'm sure. So here, here is the average uh, traditional, if you want to say, traditional marriage vow. Notice, as I read through this, notice the promise of companionship in here. I, guy's name, right? Take you, wife's name, to be my wife to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and health, to love and cherish until death do us part. This is my solemn vow before God. So I I guess I would like to ask you husbands in here, do you believe that you're fulfilling this marriage vow? Are you living in companionship with your wife? 
And, and if you are married and you have drifted away, you're detached, relationally detached from your wife, you just live like you're in some kind of legal contract you can't get out of and you're miserable, then you're breaking this marriage covenant. You're actually sinning against God. Because marriages aren't just living together, it's about companionship. And so companions have, have, are one in their thoughts and in their goals and their desires and in their time and lives together. And I guess I view it like this. Your wife, husband, should be your best friend. Should be your best friend. That's why I think it's so important if you're dating in here to start your dating off with friendship. Date someone as a friend. (laughs) Don't date someone just because they look pretty or he looks like a handsome stud, right? You know, and I don't think sameness means that you're going to be good companions. I'm not saying that at all. but, But if you're dating to get married, to have a covenant companionship, then it's probably good for you to both have the same view of marriage, probably good for you to enjoy uh, life together and have similar goals, and definitely, definitely to both be Christians growing in the Lord. Otherwise, companionship is going to be a lot, a lot ha- harder to do. And so, first, remember your marriage covenant, and second, keep studying God's design. You are to learn who she is in the context of her femininity. That is really hard to say. Femininity. There we go. Femininity. I'm not going to be able to say that very fast. Femininity. So look at verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Now, again, if you're going to build a house, what are you going to look to to find out how to build this house? The architectural plans, right? I said earlier, I mentioned earlier the Ikea stuff. I, I've, well, sometimes actually Walmart sells these too, where you can put these, these, these pieces of furniture together and you have these instructions. And though the furniture is cheap and though I keep doing it, I despise doing that. Because usually what happens, I, you know, you get the, the paper and you get all the parts, you put them out, and then you're trying to see what is it actually supposed to look like in the end. And then you're trying to follow these instructions. And usually it's about some point, you know, the, the male pride kicks in. And I'm like, I don't need these instructions, right? So you just start putting it together, and you realize toward the end, ah, I did the whole thing wrong. And what's the, what's the worst thing your wife can hear when you're working on a project? Oops. <laughs> Especially one of those projects when there's only, like, there's the exact amount of everything in there. You know, you break something, and it's like, we got to go back to Ikea and replace it. And, but, you know, a lot of times, men, we like to wing things, don't we? You know, we don't like to look at the instructions. We like to, in fact, we even kind of gauge our manliness up on that, right? Lift ourselves up in pride. I think many men, though, we do that in our marriages as well, right? We don't want to look at the instructions. We don't want to look at, we just, we're just kind of winging it, and probably, therefore, that's why many of us are failing miserably. And here our text, he says we are to study and to understand God's design. Literally, he says, look at verse number seven. He says, literally, you are to live with your wives. And then it's actually with knowledge, with understanding, with knowledge. And it's not just informational knowledge, but it's the idea that this knowledge will help you to understand how it works. That's why they translate it there as understand. So, so what are we there for to understand? What is God calling husbands to understand? Well, I think that this, if you have an ESV or another translation, I think they... Many of them kind of mess up the translation of how the order should be. If you guys have a NASB, I think probably you have the best 
uh, translation. I'm actually going to put the NASB up here for you to see this. The, the original order of the Greek words is probably best reflected by the NASB. And some, I think, other versions try to do some interpretation. So they, they take some of the English words and they kind of mix them around and they get them out of order. So I'm just going to kind of show you from this up here. So if you have another version, you can compare the, the NASB up here with your Bible. I have an ESV I've been reading out of this morning. But I want you to notice the word order. It's so important for us to understand the word order in order for us to understand what we're to understand. And so look at verse number seven on the screen up here. He says, husbands live. So there's, there's the first participle, the first key verb. And then he says, with your wives in an understanding way. And then notice this clause, this dependent clause here that helps us to know how we are to live with an our wives in an understanding way. He says, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman. And so in the original Greek language, actually that follows the, the, the words live with your wives in an understanding way. Then the second verb is show, and you can see show, and then it says show her honor, and the next clause there, the next two prepositional phrases are as a fellow heir of the grace of God. So the proper order is to have the phrase the woman as the weaker vessel after in an understanding way. So the idea is, what are we understanding? We are understanding our wife is a woman. Hopefully you figured that one out by now, right? But not just that she's a woman, but that she, there's something particular about her. She's actually a weaker vessel. Now that is something that would definitely trigger some people, right? I mean, that is offensive to some people in our society. But let's just say, first of all, it's a biblical truth. Secondly, it's a biological fact, right? We believe in science. There we go, I said it. And it's common sense. You know, think about this way. If, if we were to have an intruder come in here and he were to barge those doors and if all the men stood up and took the women and pushed them towards the door and the men ran out the back door, <laughs> we'd be like, what? Like, that doesn't make any sense, does it, right? Because we recognize that God has made men, most men, bigger and more masculine, and those individuals, those humans, are supposed to defend us. That's a general statement, but generally that's how it is. God designed men and women, women differently. Biologically, every cell of a male is different than a woman. Men have XY chromosomes. Women have X chromosomes. Women have fa faster heart rates. They have a smaller percentage of water in their bodies. They have fewer red blood cells. I'm not really certain how that affects a woman, but there you go. There it is. Women have, on, on average, 23% muscle, 25% fat, but men have 40% muscle and 15% fat. Males and females both have brains. Well, some males, sometimes we wonder about that, right, females? Okay, but they have brains. But, but women have actually a larger part of their, and a more active part of their brain that actually affects communication. Women have a larger uh, limbic system in their brains, which allows them to be more in touch and expressive about their emotions. So when they sing, they have probably more emotion in it. So that's good. One person offered a few differences between men and women. You probably knew this was coming. His, this guy said, women are crazy. Don't amen that one, men. Women are crazy. Men are oblivious. And the main reason women are crazy is that men are oblivious. Another one I read, a man will pay $10 for a $5 item he needs. 
a woman, a woman will pay $5 for a $10 item that she does not need because it's on sale. So we're welcoming Hobby Lobby into town, right? Where everything's 50% off. Yeah, right. Okay. And I went there yesterday. I was like the, the lone male in the whole store. And it's packed. So anyways, a woman marries a man expecting he will change, but he doesn't. A man marries a woman expecting she won't change, but she does. So the point of that is that there's so many differences between men and women. It's to, to say there's not is to be a fool, really. And so Peter says, here's a distinction. Here's a difference. There's, there's a sense where a, a woman is a weaker vessel. And he uses that word as, as to really as an, as an illustration of, of her personhood. It's not calling her a pot, okay? It's not saying that she's a pot and men are superior. It's actually saying both, it's comparative. Both are vessels. Men and women are vessels. And then women happen to be a more fragile vessel. Again, it's not saying she's inferior. Weaker does not mean substandard or deficient in some way. He's saying both men and women are like vessels and there's a distinction between them and the fact that she has... She's more fragile in some ways. And so I got, I got some vessels over here, so I thought I would kind of use these vessels right here to kind of show you this. And so I got a lot of vessels. I'm going to talk about this a little bit later here. But here I got, I got my mug, right? Actually, I really like this mug a lot. Actually, is this your favorite mug or my favorite mug? It's my favorite mug. Okay, is it? Okay, well, I think, it's, I think it was she bought it as her favorite mug, but ended up being my favorite mug. But anyways, so this is a nice little mug, and, and this is a vessel. So you got two different vessels here, right here. Which one is more valuable? Yeah, this one's probably more valuable, right? Okay, you've got another vessel. How about, you got this vessel right here and this vessel right here. Which one's more valuable? And my point is, is that we're going to talk about this in a, in a second. Like, the things you value, you honor. But just because, uh, just because it's different, does it mean, I should say this way. Because it's different means you probably treat it in a different way, right? There's a different way I'm going to treat this vessel than this vessel. So if I'm cleaning this vessel, I probably will ha let my kids do that. If I'm cleaning this vessel... Certain kids will not be allowed to clean this, right? In other words, it's maybe a little more delicate. There's something I'm going to do. I'm going to treat this differently than this one just because of the, of the nature of its attributes. There's certain attributes to this vessel and this vessel that cause it to be treated differently. In other words, you, you have different vessels, and just because one is, one is more fragile doesn't mean it's something that is worthless. It just actually sometimes more fragile uh, vessels are the ones that are worth the most, right? And so the point he's making here is that there's, there's something, there's qualities about a woman that makes her a little bit weaker in some particular areas. And I think one of those is physically, there's just, again, we went through some characteristics there. Physically, there's, there's some characteristics there. I think also there's some more vulnerabilities for the woman, particularly um, in the home. Women bear children, especially during that time. They depend on the income of their spouse for support. Women are typically the ones who are in a more vulnerable situation in regard to poverty and to abuse and to threats. And God designed the husband to be a servant leader. And he is to use the gifts that God has given to him to sacrificially serve his wife. He's to do that in a loving way, sacrificing his rights for the good of his wife. Of course, the reality is in our world is that people... Uh, men, I should say, don't live that way in regard to their wives. Many of them give up the loving leadership role, or sometimes they use their power to hurt, to, 
to force, to abuse. And I, I, I think I, it's a good time to address something like this because this happens in our world, but it happens sometimes horrifically in Christian homes. If you're a man and you try to get your way by threatening, by bullying, by yelling, then you are an abusive leader. You're an abusive leader, and you're sinning against God. That's not how God designed you to lead the home. And I would say this, ladies, if you have a husband in your life who is abusive to you, please get help. Please get help. If he puts a hand on you and he hurts you in some way, can you please, would you please call the higher authorities? And I, we as elders here will 100% support you in that. Because that is not, first of all, it's not legal to do that. And secondly, it's very, very harmful to the home. And we want to help protect you in that. So if a husband is leading as a good leader, how should he lead? How does a good leader lead? Well, he should get to, to listen and understand the people that he's leading. Therefore, I think that's what, probably what he's calling the husbands to do here. A Christ-like leader means that we sacrifice our rights and our desires for the good of another person, and then we seek to understand them by listening to them. Now, when we talk about understanding your wife, this scares many people, right? Many men, I should say. And in fact, some people even joke, you know, like, that you can't understand a woman. I'm sure there's probably some songs out there about that. Anyone know any country songs about that? I'm sure there are probably some. But the scripture actually counters this idea and this way of thinking. It actually says here and commands us here actually to understand her. And the first step to understanding her, I think, is first of all to ask God what he thinks about her. So God designed woman, right? He designed, designed women, plural, but designed the woman. And so we should probably ask God. So go to the scripture. And I think it's a good thing, especially if you're about to get married, you're a young man, or you're a young, young woman. It'd be good to go to the scriptures and say, what does the Bible teach about what does it mean to be a male and what does it mean to be a female? What does it mean to be a husband? What does it mean to be a wife? Look at some of the commands. Recognize some of the temptations maybe that you and that particular gender are going to be tempted with and seek to understand how God views us and how God has designed us. And then I think as a, as a husband, what else should you do to understand your wife? I think you should probably try to understand her by studying her, right? If you truly want to understand her, then go to the deepest part of her person, and that is her heart. Her heart is where her desires are, her emotions are, her fears, her ambitions. And if you know what the Bible says about your wife, and about you, if you daily seek to understand her heart, then I think you will dwell with your wife in understanding. Now, how do you, how can you know what's in somebody's heart? How can you find out what somebody's thinking in their heart? Anyone got an idea? You ask them, that's right. You ask them questions. That's why I think it's so important for us as husbands to to go out with your wife and talk to her. Go on a walk with her. Go get some ice cream and ask her how she's feeling. No one cringed on that one, did they? Ask her, how are you feeling? What, what are you struggling with? 
how how do what I say how do how, how does what I say affect you and what are the struggles taking place in your life? And so dwell with our wives in an understanding way. And the third the third task is to care for her as your most valued treasure. She's God's gift to you. Look at verse seven. He says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. And I'm gonna go ahead and get the word order correct here, to the woman as the weaker vessel, showing honor since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Showing is the next participle. It's again, present active. It's something continually you're to do every day. And the word literally means to assign or to give over to someone. So what are we as husbands to assign or to give over to our wives? What does it say? Honor. We're to give them honor. And we've seen this word many times in 1 Peter, right? We're to give honor to the king. We're, we're honored by God because of his mercy, not because of our works. In the ancient times, honor was used to assign value to something. Something that had honor was of great cost, was, was very valuable. And the picture of, of 1 Peter chapter 3 here is he says, again, the, the wife is like a vessel and she is to be honored. If you remember in some of Paul's epistles, Paul speaks of us as being, you know, earthen pots or earthen vessels. And he says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20, one time where he gives an illustration that we need to care for our, our vessels. And he says there's some vessels that are very honorable. They're made of gold and silver. And there's some vessels that are not very honorable. They're, they're what people put trash in and and refuse in, and, you know, excrement, that kind of stuff, and common things. So, so he was, so what the picture in the New Testament is that there's, that we have, the people are kind of like vessels. You have an exterior, you have an interior, there's things that go inside, like our hearts, right? You have the exterior, our bodies, and we are to value, and as for husbands here, they are to value their wives. Now, when you think about vessels that are valuable and vessels that we consider valuable and vessels that we don't consider value, valuable, which ones are more valuable, or I should say this way, um, how do we value those things? In fact, I'll just go ahead and come over here and show you this. I got a couple of them. Would anyone believe that this is, uh, this is pure silver right here? Anyone want to believe that this morning? Okay, you can pretend it, okay? I didn't have anything. That was a, I looked in a vessel this morning in my house. I was like, is there, there's got to be some vessels around here. There's nothing in my house that's valuable that's for everyone on TV there, just in case you want to rob us, okay? But anyways, this is the most valuable stuff I have in my house. And so here we go. We got a, we had a trash can. This came from the nursery, which means what? There's a lot of things probably down there. I, I make sure. I, I didn't want to bring over the actual vessel because it's really nasty. And I even, yeah. But you know what this is right here, okay? And you know, this is not the actual vessel, but you can pretend it is because I just did not want to pick it up and touch it and then touch my Bible and then shake your hand afterwards. It's like probably worse than COVID, you know? <laughs> Anyways, but the point is, is that there's certain vessels we have here that we consider valuable and we have certain vessels that we don't consider very valuable at all. If you consider something valuable, how do you treat that vessel, right? If, if I have this right here and let's pretend it's, what is this thing called even? I don't remember. Toilet bowl, toilet brush holder, whatever, okay? Toilet brush holder, like, we don't consider this very valuable, do we, right? We put it next to the toilet, down there, we stick a brush in it that is disgusting. Anyways, I think we're all sick of looking at that, right? We don't really consider this very valuable, do it. What, what do we do with this after we 
use it, we throw it in the trash. The point is this. The point is, is that things that, vessels that you consider honorable, that you actually treat what, in a very um, delicate and in a valuable way, and things that you don't consider very valuable, then you therefore you treat them in that way. So, husbands, we are to consider our wives as valuable. If you consider your wife to be valuable, if you honor her, how will you treat her? If, if you consider her to be of less value, how will you treat her? In other words, if you dishonor your wife, if you think about that little toilet bowl cleaner holder, whatever it's called, right? We do not consider that very valuable. We eventually throw it away. We maybe even neglect it. I mean, if you're a husband, you probably neglect it. That's probably not a good thing. But, but if you have a trash can, you might, you might uh, put that outside. If you have an oil can, you might throw it in the trash. How do we treat things that are less value? We neglect them. Maybe we kick them and we don't, when we're mad about something, maybe we set them outside. And frankly, what it is, we just really don't care about things that we don't consider valuable. And I think it's unfortunate as many husbands, many husbands treat their wife their wives like worthless vessels. They belittle their wives with derogatory comments. They mock them. Sometimes they even hurt them. They neglect them. And frankly, they really don't care. So what does it mean then to treat your wife with honor, like an honorable vessel? It means that you treat her as your most valued treasure. What are some things we treasure, men? You got trucks, right? You like your truck? Or how about your golf clubs? Or how about your computer, your tools? We have things that we treasure. And what do we do with the things that we value like that, those treasures we value? We care for them. Don't, don't touch my truck. <laughs> some guys will park on the other side of the parking lot just so that no one will touch their truck, right? And we, we take care of those things. We prioritize them. We protect them. We invest in them. And one word, really, you could say it this way. We love those things, don't we? We love them. If you highly value something, in other words, if you honor them, then you will love them. In other words, the action of love comes after you first set that person in a high position of honor. In other words, if you were to prize your wife as the most valuable possession that you own, you would love your wife. And husbands, do we realize that the greatest treasure we have is our wife? I think of the tale of the man who inherited that painting, you know, and, and he got a painting from one of his relatives and he put it up in his attic and it was getting dust and he was neglecting it up there and they even had some boxes and he put it on top of the painting. Then one day he reads the article and it says that painting's worth millions of dollars. He didn't know that. How did it change how he treated that painting? Like he went, got it, he brushed it off, he fixed it up. I mean, why, what changed? Why, why did he now consider that to be something worth taking care of? Because he considered it something that was, was valuable, something that was valuable. How valuable is our wife? Well, if you look down in verse number seven, it says we're to show honor to her since she is an heir with you of the grace of life. In other words, God honors her 
God values her. She's a treasure in God's view of her. And he has given her to you as a gift. And if God treasures her, how should you treat her? In fact, if you look over, look over in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 7, you can see this, this same idea of honor is used. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2, 7, that Christians are honored. The honor is for you who believe. So as a believer in Christ, your wife is valued by God, and we should therefore value her as well. So how can we value, how can we value that special person in our life? I think first of all, I'm just give you some ideas here, guys, okay? So this time you probably, if you're not taking notes, go ahead and take notes now. If not, she can take notes for you and read it when you get home. I think if you value your wife, you'll say words that affirm her, that show you that you value her. Maybe this afternoon you, you should sit down with your wife, look her in the eye, turn the TV off probably first, set your phone away from you somewhere else, look her in the eyes and say, maybe you need to say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry that I have not treasured you like I should have. I've treasured other things, maybe more than you. Will you please forgive me? Or maybe you look at her and you say, you are my most valuable treasure. I love you. Or if I were to do it all over again, you're the girl I would marry. You're my best friend. I love spending time with you. Thank you for doing this and this and this and this and this and this and just go on through the list of the many things you can think of and ask her anything else and then say thank you for doing that for me. My point is this. How many women would love to hear that, right? My point is we should show her that we value her by telling her that we do. And also I think you value things you spend time with, right? I should say the things you value you spend time with. I was reading this. I looked up a couple passages about marriage and I was reading this one in Ecclesiastes. At least three times I can find in the scriptures where it tells us that we are to enjoy the company of our wives. So this one, Ecclesiastes 9, 9, enjoy the life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life. And the idea there, you see this idea of time a lot. In other words, you're spending time with her. You're enjoying your life with her. Many of us have had loved ones that have passed away. I'm mindful in a message like this that there's widows and widowers in here and probably um, messages like this can be sad for you as you think about your loss. I hope this will cause you to thank God for the time you had with your spouse and maybe cause you to look forward to the future when you can see them again in eternity. Um, but what is the first thing we think of when we lose someone? whether it be a spouse or whether it just be a friend, what's the first thing we think of? Time, right? We think of the time maybe we spent with them. Maybe we think of the time we wish we could have spent with them. Many times we think of the time that, that we won't be able to spend with them in the future. I think the thing that shows that we believe someone is the most important person in our life is we spend time with them. And so husbands, let me encourage you, spend time with your wife. And then fourth, to wrap it up here, fourth point, unite together in dependence on God. She's your spiritual partner. Again, I'm going to 
read the order of the text according to what I think is the proper order. Verse 7, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way to the woman who is the weaker vessel, showing honor since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Notice showing honor. Look at verse 7. Notice showing honor. Notice you show honor because she's a co-heir. So you show her honor because she's a co-heir of the grace of life. And what does that mean? It means that husbands and wives are spiritual equals and partners. I think this verse teaches here the husband and wife, they're co-heirs, which means they're spiritual equals. And the husband should relate to his wife as a spiritual partner in the marriage. The wife is the one that he is to spiritually connect with. That's why I said one of the husband's daily tasks is there to unite together in dependence on God. And what I see in verse 7 is a husband and wife coming together as one in Christ, trusting Christ together, enjoying Christ together, depending on the grace of Christ, praying with each other. He says, look at verse 7, your heirs together of the grace of life. So what does it look like for you to unite with your wife as an heir of the grace of life? I think it means, husbands, that we pray for our wives. I think it also means we pray with our wives. Pray with your wife. I think it means you value the grace, uh, the, the words of grace, which is the word of God. And we, as Ephesians 5 says, we're to wash our wives with the word, with the word of God. It means we should be the spiritual initiators in the home. And look at verse 7, the very end. He says, so that your prayers may not be, be hindered. Following the directives of verse 7 is impossible to do in glory to God. It's really impossible for us to really dwell in companionship, to understand her as God wants us to understand her without God's help. It's really impossible for us to value her like God does without God's help, which, what, which means what? Which means what this, what this man is doing here and, and this husband is doing here in verse 7, he is living a personal life of dependence on God. He's person, personally asking God for help. But Paul also warns us that if you're not living in companionship with understanding and you're not valuing her, that your prayers, husbands, your prayers will be hindered. In other words, God will not listen to you. If you are out of fellowship with your wife, if, if you had an argument on the way to church and you walked in here and you're not in fellowship with Christ, he did not care at all about any words that came out of your mouth in those songs. If you're out of fellowship with your wife, you're out of fellowship with God. And many men, we like to compartmentalize things in life, right? And here's my relationship with my wife. It's really bad. Here's my relationship with God. It's really good. It doesn't work like that, men. They're all connected. They're all connected. Our relationship with our spouses are connected to our relationship with God. How many husbands in the churches of America today are deceived to think they can coexist with their wife and maybe even treat them like dirt? while at the same time pretending that they are in fellowship with God. I think some men even believe they are. They're deceived to think that. that but that does not exist in the kingdom of God. So husbands, what are we to do? I would encourage you as a husband to take that hand out. If you didn't get one, go on the way out and get one. Take that and use that to talk to the Lord. In fact, in a moment we're going to sing some songs before that. 
I'm just going to give you a time to pray to the Lord. Maybe there's something you need to confess to the Lord. I, may, I would encourage you as a husband to go home and talk to your wife as well. Especially if the Lord convicts you of some things, talk to her about these things. But most importantly, I think in all this, go to the Lord with it and be honest with him. Wives, we need your prayers. Husbands need the prayers of their wives. Some, sometimes maybe a, a person, or maybe a lady might hear this sermon and be like, yes, this is just what my husband needs. If that's you, maybe go back and listen to last week's sermon, okay? And I would just, let me speak to young singles who are maybe young and hoping to get married someday. I hope you took notes, okay? Because you might think, well, this isn't for me, but you should be preparing. If God has this for you, you should be preparing men to be the man God wants you to be and young ladies to be the woman God wants you to be. And I think for all of us in here, some of you in here, like again, I said, some of us, some people are widows, widowers, some are single. And you might think, how does this apply to me? I think we can pray for each other in this. We should be praying for each other. We need strong homes in our society. We need strong homes in America. We need strong homes in our churches. And they really start with the leadership of, our, of the husbands. And so will you pray for that, for this church and for our country? Remember your marriage covenant. Keep studying God's design. Care for her as your most valued treasure and then unite with her in dependence on God. Let's pray. As we bow our hearts before the Lord, I'm just going to give you a, a moment of silence before the Lord to talk to him. And husbands, spend some time in prayer right now before the Lord asking him for, for help. Father, thank you for the clear, the applicable, practical instruction found in your word. I'm always amazed, Lord, that you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, had a man from 2,000 years ago write something that hits us right where we're at. What we need just at this moment, at this time in our society you designed us. God, you know what our weaknesses are. You know what, uh, what we should be doing. You've called us to be the husbands and the wives and the people of God that you want us to be. And so your word applies to us today. And we cannot do this in our own strength. We cannot be the husbands that you want us to be just by going home and saying, I'm going to try harder. God, we depend upon you. We need grace husbands, wives, children, church members, all of us, we need grace to live each day. So God, will you, Holy Spirit, will you give that to us? May we live in the power of the Spirit today, throughout this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm ask the music team to come on up. We're going to sing one last song here. This is a song we introduced to you a couple weeks ago. And Christ the Shore and Steady Anchor. This is, again, a prayer really to God, to Jesus Christ, to, to be our anchor in our life. And I think as husbands,